0: You have all made it to the dance. 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 You have all
1: made it, made it, made it. Right, 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 right. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode three fifty nine your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And we roll right along with two of my favorite things. I've got Aditya Varanasi. He is CEO of Awarety. He is formerly of PepsiCo and Frito-Lay. So we're talking two things here, snack foods and TV, and you get plenty of both. And I'm being a little bit intentionally glib with that, but you know what? I'm trying to sell something. So is he. Because at Awarety, Their whole value proposition is that they offer world-class advertising at an affordable price for small businesses. On the biggest streaming apps, the websites, only in the areas that you service. So there's a geographical component. You can target where you want to reach very specifically, which is a huge tool for small businesses because if you think about casting a wide net, that's going to be a lot of wasted money, a lot of wasted energy, a lot of leads that maybe aren't super useful to you, or people who just aren't interested in your product. So this is banner ads on sites like ESPN or HGTV or Forbes. And then if you think about connected TV as well, there's Roku, Fire TV, you know Pluto TV, Sling. Who is servicing these platforms? We don't often think about that. But it is Auditia's company, Awarety, that is servicing this. And so we get into that. We get into his whole background. He's actually a chemical engineer by training. That's what he has his degree in. He did get his MBA. And he found when he was working at Frito-Lay under PepsiCo, he was fascinated by the marketing process. So he takes me through some really interesting conversations. First about focus groups and talking about multi chip packs. I have one right now in my pantry. It's literally a Frito-Lay chip pack that my kids take and they put in their lunch. I also will peel off some Cool Ranch Doritos occasionally. It's great but talking about the focus groups of listening, hey, what kind of products do we want in here? How many of each kind? Here's a bunch of moms talking about what it's like to pack lunches in the morning. He also talks about product development. So specifically, he talks about Lay's Stacks, which basically answers the fundamental question, hey, what if Lay's were actually Pringles? If you think about it in that way, you can't just copy Pringles, right? Because all that's patented. So you have to develop new product, New packaging, new marketing. It's a whole big, long process, and he walks me through it. So you get kind of a twofer in this episode, which I love. On one hand, you get insight into one of the biggest corporations in the entire world and how they do things. He's got great stories about that. On the other, you also get a story of an entrepreneur trying to come up with new solutions for small businesses. Exciting episode. Right in that sweet spot of things that I love. Where, yeah, we're talking about one thing, but hey, we're also talking about this other thing. How do they come together? How does your past experience inform your current present? That kind of thing matters to me. I love any time I get to sit down with an entrepreneur and learn more about them. Aditya is a terrific guy with a ton of great insight and doing a really cool company. So, proud to feature him here. Quick plug for me. The content train is going to keep on rolling because I got interviews in the can. I got tons and tons to show you. It's really, really fun. I got great shows lined up. Also, 10-year anniversary coming up here next month. We're going to be doing that in March. have got a very special 10th anniversary guest. I'm also going to do a 10th anniversary mailbag. So I'm going to be reaching out to former guests, asking them some mailbag questions, anything they want to know from me. I'm going to answer that. We had a good time with that a couple of years ago. So we're going to run it back. But it's exciting times here on the John of All Trades podcast. I hope 2024 is kicking off well for you. I'm having a great time. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But knock on wood, we're having a good year so far. So I hope the year finds you well. I hope it finds you healthy. I hope it finds you on a path to fulfillment. What else can I wish for you? Now then, it's time for episode 359. I've got Aditya Varanasi. He is the founder and CEO of Awarety, and his episode starts right now.
0: They're doing pretty well. Number one. They're yeah. number
1: one? Yeah. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> um, my Rams are good for a change. I went to Colorado State, and they're actually in the top 15 this year, finally.
0: That's congrats.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's, we, do uh, some,
0: we do some work with Mountain West.
1: Oh, no kidding. Really? What kind of work?
0: Yeah. Uh, some advertising. I think the last thing we did was we helped advertise their new app where you can stream a lot of the games. Hopefully you have it. <laughs>
1: I don't yet. No, I, um, I, I'm not normally a college basketball guy. I'm more of an NBA guy. And so being yeah. here in Denver, the Nuggets have just been killer. Yeah. And so that's been super exciting. Uh, and now, you know, when your team is good, you get a dog in the fight and you get a little bit more excited about it. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out.
0: Yeah. Check
1: it out. All right. Well, so uh, national title aspirations this year.
0: You know, we're just gonna take it one day at a time. After last year, but full sure. for him. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's an easy program to to root for. Matt Painter, he does it the right way. He he, you know, he's honest with kids. You don't see him in the news about any of the kind of shady recruiting stories. These kids stay. A lot of them stay and graduate. Nice. He develops players. They have a ton of depth as a result. In this world of NIL and transfer portal. The fact that he's kind of done it his way and has a top program is that's a win to me. Like how you succeed is just as important as succeeding, so it makes it really easy to root for him. Unfortunately, they just had kind of a perfect storm brew, and um, it's easy to read the headline and say, "Oh, they got upset by a 16 seed." But like they were, they had freshman guards. There yeah. they were they were tired by the end of the year. Just a bad shooting night. It was just a culmination of a number of things. Like you can't blame the coach for missing threes. It was just an off. It, that's why the tournament's the tournament. You know? yeah. crazy, things, crazy things happen. and like, I'm pulling for him because I want to see a guy that does, does it the right way win. So it'll be very rewarding if they can, they can make a run this year.
1: That's how I feel about the Nuggets because you've got a guy like Nikola yeah. Jokic who does not care about individual stats like, at all. Right. Uh, as we record this, last night they played the Pistons and they won, and Jokic recorded four points on three shots but had 16 dimes. Yeah. Which is wild. He's like, yeah, no, let me just distribute this for a while, and you know, the success will come.
0: That's exactly it. That's easy to root for.
1: Yeah, 100% it is. All right, well, we are already on the right wavelength. This is Adiata uh, Varanasi, and I was introduced to you through someone else, and I'm happy that I did because you have a really interesting journey. Because you have a degree in chemical engineering, which not all entrepreneurs who work in marketing can say. Did a long time at Frito Lay and at PepsiCo. Uh, you have your MBA from uh, from the Kellogg School at Northwestern, which, by the way, uh, my entire family's from Chicago. So, oh. uh, if you care to weigh in on deep dish versus tavern style, I would welcome that opinion. Uh, <laughs> if if you have a strong preference one way or the other, and deep now dish. deep dish, really? Wow, not me. No, I'm I'm a thin crust guy. I'm a tavern style guy.
0: Look, Chicago thin crust is pretty good too, but deep dish is just so unique.
1: It, it is. It's. And and what people misunderstand about Chicagoans is that the deep dish is not an all the time thing, right? Like you can't yeah. you can't do that to yourself. It's simply yeah. too much. Yeah. But uh, you have your own company now. It's called Awarety. We'll talk about that. But first things first. I've worked with a lot of people, and so being in the public facing role for a number of companies, I was in corporate. I was there on the record spokesperson. I did internal communications. I did all manner of comms for this company. And I worked with a lot of engineers. Tell me about your degree in chemical engineering. What inspired you to get that degree? And then what did you want to do with it? uh, And then how did you apply it?
0: I was talking to uh, a neighbor, we had our neighbors over this, this weekend, just for a little holiday holiday party. Mm -hmm. And one of them just started college. And we're talking about, hey, what do you so what do you want to do? And he's a baseball player. So I think that's his first focus. But I think secondarily, he's like trying to figure it out. And it's hard because when you're 18, 19, 20, you don't really know who you are and what excites you. At the end of the day, you want to be in a job that doesn't feel like a job because you enjoy what you're doing. You enjoy the challenges you have. So, you know, my journey started, I just wanted to make a good living. So I said, Hey, I like kind of like people and I like medicine. I like science. So let me be a doctor. So I was pre-med. Wow. And chemistry and, and was kind of the major that had a lot of overlap with pre-med. So it was chemistry and pre-med. And after a semester, I was like, hey, what if I don't want to be in school for several more years after this?
1: For like a decade, yeah.
0: Yeah, what, what if I don't? And the thought hadn't crossed my mind because <laughs> everything up to that point was pre-med, medicine, pre-med, medicine. But after a semester in school, I was like, maybe I, I'm not sure I want to do this for several more years after I complete this degree. So I said, let me let me add another major. My criteria were what pays well and what sounds really hard. And mm. I heard chemical engineering was really hard, so I said, let's see how <laughs> hard it is. Let's try it out. And that was honestly, if I'm that I, was I, the I, draw I, to you. The,
1: the draw was how hard it was.
0: I didn't know what I really wanted to do, but I knew I was good at like math and and sciences, and I had the chemistry. You know, started the chemistry degree, so like there was a number of factors sure. towards yeah. it. But it wasn't like I knew a lot about what chemical engineers do. I just wanted to make a good living. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about doing something that you love and and all of that. Not to say I didn't enjoy engineering. There's a lot of things I loved about being an engineer, but that was what drew me to chemical engineering is, hey, there was some overlap with pre-med. It was supposed to be really hard, so I felt like I'd be challenged, and it paid well yeah. after graduation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, check, check, check. Let's try this out. And it wasn't until I you know, I got hired by Frito-Lay working on new product development, that was the first time in my life I'd been exposed to marketing. So I got to work with the brand marketing teams on products like Lay Stacks or Tostito Scoops and got to go to focus groups, see what customers yeah, say, okay. start thinking about financial strategy, competitive strategy, business strategy, all of that, product design, you know, how you're going to like the consumer, graphics, design, commercials, all of it. I was mm-hmm. like, this is really cool. And there's always something to improve on I think that leads back to that theme of hey it sounds really hard so let's let's try it and um, that's ultimately what drew me to go get my MBA and then rejoin uh, free-to-lay in the brand marketing group I got my MBA working I actually lived in Chicago for almost for a little over two and a half years yeah. and I worked at Quaker r and d during that time while I was getting my MBA and then came back to free- to-lay in the brand marketing group and Learned a lot about marketing. I was the only former engineer, one of the only former engineers in, in the marketing group.
1: Yeah, I, I imagine that's true. I want to pause here for a second. For anyone who has never participated in a focus group, like, were you behind that two-way glass? Yeah, Yeah. Yep. Those focus groups, no matter what you're doing, whether you're talking about a proposed ballot measure or, say, new tortilla chips, those focus groups are always so weird you never know what people are going to say. And people will say some really unhinged things that, that you just did not see coming. Can you give me a snapshot of what a focus group at Frito Lay is like?
0: Yeah. You know, it could go a number of different ways. There was one we did with the sales team and it was showing them a way to merchandise Lay stacks. Cause what you don't want is Frito Lay has its own distribution system, taking 17 individual jars out and lining them up perfectly on a shelf. That's, that's, a, that's not a great use of their time. So I designed, I actually got a patent for it, a shipping carton that could ter- tear into, in, into a merchandising tray. Wow. And so we were testing it, and we made that a little focus group. Now, that was not behind glass. That was a little more internal. But that was really interesting to just see how they experienced it, how they tried it, what they said, what they said worked. And then on the other end, it could be you know, products, tasting a product and hearing what they think. Or it could be just talking about their lives. When I was on multi pack at Mm Frito-Lay, you know, we would just listen like to moms talking about what's important for them when they're packing their kids lunch. And I think the theme that came out of all of it, which we could all resonate with in real life, people are generally not very good at articulating what they want, (laughs) what they really want.
1: No, there's a great scene on The Simpsons where they're like, so you want fantastical stories featuring aliens and robots and things, but you would also like more grounded stories that are more personal and <laughs> exactly. unique to the human experience. They're like, yes. You go, okay, that's extremely conflicting data. And yes. how, do you, how do you do that? So, yes, you're right. People have no idea what they want. I think it's a myth that we know ourselves well at all.
0: I agree. And, and so I think what you listen for in those... Is you're listening for the sentiment, you're listening for yeah. the emotion, you're listening for what are kind of the underlying motivations that may or may not be articulated clearly. And that's not a knock on anybody in the focus group. I think it's no. all human.
1: No, no, you're not wrong. And just because people are poor at articulating doesn't mean that that they're not coming from a genuine place. Right, right. right? It, it means that they 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 have needs that they can't necessarily verbalize, and that's okay. So you, yeah, if you listen a specific way, you can get to that kernel of truth and be like, oh, okay, so here's where the tension in their lives actually is. Your thing about listening to moms talk about packing lunches. I mean, I have a multi-pack of Frito-Lay chips in my house right now, and my kids will sometimes fight over that. Like, you know, I think one of my daughters got the the pack of the puffy Cheetos like three days in a row, and the other one didn't get any. So I go, oh, jeez, okay. Like, how do you resolve that within your own house. And I imagine you get stories like that and you go, okay, so does that change the amount of each item we put in this multi-pack? Like, do we swap out certain items? Uh, Yeah.
0: No. And then there's manufacturing considerations where you have small bag capacity because those small bags are a lot harder to make than big bags, as you can imagine, because you got to, you're making the same amount of chips, but you got to package them a lot faster to fit in the small bags. And so there's there's a there's so many considerations on it. Then there's location of manufacturing to where they're going to be repacked into the multi packs, because you're not producing all of them on the same production line. So right. there's so many factors that ultimately go go into it. You know, at the end of the day, though, what moms really want, they just want to know their kids aren't going to be hungry.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's it. But I mean, what what you're talking about essentially, it, to boil this down into almost tech terms, is like user experience. Right. And, and so user experience then influences a bunch of decisions you have to make in terms of engineering and supply chain and marketing and so on and so forth. But you're starting with, OK, how is the consumer interacting with the product? And then how does that influence the choices we make to maximize the value of what we have and make them the most happy? Is that
0: exactly? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So let's bring that into advertising, because advertising to me is in kind of a weird place. It's a place where we have ads all the time, yet people are working, especially in the online space, to avoid as many ads as possible. So there's an inherent tension there. And I think about how products and companies are trying to get their message to consumers and just how difficult that probably is right now. Thankfully, I don't have to do a ton of that right now. But can you tell me, first of all, what inspired you to make the entrepreneurial leap, which is something we talk about on this show all the time, and then how your work is going uh, since you've made that leap
0: yeah so you know going back to how i made the leap so i was at i was at pepsico several years and i think i came to the conclusion you know when i was there i wanted to be the ceo of the company that was my goal wow and i came to the conclusion somewhere along the way that i don't really want to do that And I think I think what what opened that is getting a greater understanding of what that job really entails, not the perception of what I thought it entailed,
1: but what it actually is
0: really entails. And and even not just CEO, CMO or other C-level positions, the things they the things they have to do, the things they have to tolerate, the things they have to put up with. There's there's a host of people say, oh, these people are overpaid. But if you look at the stuff they have to deal with and the problems they have to solve, the stakeholders they have to manage and the needles they have to thread on a consistent basis, there's very few people wired to do it. And for me, I was always more excited about creating something new and different and, and like making an impact. So the, the jobs at Frito-Lay that I think I, I enjoyed the most were the ones where I had the most freedom. Yeah. And, and so- That kind of started to spark, hey, maybe corporate America isn't for me. But here I was, I was, you know, 14 years into a corporate America career. I had a mortgage, two kids, like you don't just jump to an entrepreneur. And and so I just said, you know what, I'm going to stop worrying about getting promoted. I was promotion focused to the point of being annoying (laughs) for a long time. Yeah, sure. And I said, I'm going to stop worrying about it. I'm just going to try to help the people I'm working with and I'm going to try to learn. And that's it. And if i get promoted great and if i don't i don't i'm making a decent living it is what it is because i don't know what's what's next yeah and i got a call out of the blue from a private equity firm they were looking for somebody with my background they really liked the fact that i was an engineer but also had kind of top tier consumer marketing experience yeah and they were looking for somebody to be the ceo of an insurance startup that they were going to fund so you know one thing led to another and you know i left pepsico and took up that position so that Broke me out of corporate America. I was still compensated on salary. I, you know, I, but I had the entrepreneurial experience. And the guy I worked for, I learned a lot about entrepreneurship. He kind of demystified a lot of things I didn't understand because I'd never done it before. Like what? You know, I think the first thing was focusing on positive cash flow and making decisions based on positive cash flow mm-hmm. versus what you read in the headlines. Like, yeah. how do you juice the perceived value of a company? Particularly when you're talking in the mid. 2010s. Yeah, it was all about unicorns. And hey, who's got a multi billion dollar valuation, but they're losing a ton of money. It just didn't make any sense to me what I was reading in the headlines versus what it was. And then when I saw it, it was like, hey, how do you generate positive cash flow and then build on that he was a value investor at a value investing hedge fund. And when you take that view of it, it made a lot more sense on how you build a new business.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more on that because sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I read about <clears throat> particularly like private equity and you know angel investors and things like that. It's like this company has never made money and likely never will, yet everyone is inflating the value of... The, not necessarily inflating it, but they're, they're betting on perceived value. And I'm like, what are we even talking about here? So to hear you yeah. focus on positive cash flow, it's like, hey, we spent this much money and we earned this much more money in advance, <clears throat> That that's a fundamental that just cannot be denied.
0: Right. Absolutely. And so with that, so it, it kind of gave me a different, completely different framework to think about it. And after about six months, we parted ways. There's a little more to the, a little more to that, but like, you know, we parted ways and it was amicable. And um, I started this business. I said, I I interviewed at several places, interviewed at very recognizable companies, sure. great positions. And I just couldn't get excited about <laughs> any of them Yeah, and um, started this business. You know, we had a little bit of runway kind of from our separation that we had agreed on. And we had a little bit of runway. And I said, let me try this. And we started to get some traction. It took several months, started to get a little bit of traction around this advertising product, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And, um, but we started to run out of money. We hadn't raised any money. We were just going through kind of our, our own savings. And so Fortunately, a job came up at Capital One. It was a good position. Did that for about a year. Kept the business going nights and weekends with our initial batch of clients. And after that year, I was like, hey, I really see a line of sight to scaling this. I think we can grow this. Like the clients we have are happy. We've proven the product works. Let's go do it. And around that time, my youngest son started preschool. So my wife started to have a little bit of bandwidth. And April 2018, we went at it full speed.
1: Nice. All right, well. I want to touch on something first. You mentioned the, the corporate officers of a company the size of PepsiCo, and you're right. That's a lifestyle. I mean, essentially, you are signing up for an all-consuming, all-encompassing lifestyle, and you really have to want to have that as your title and to be your life. Uh, when I was in corporate, I was just... I grew existentially frustrated because... I was so I felt like I was wasting my potential because, like you, I like generating a high level of work product, like a lot of work product. That's where I am most comfortable. That's where I am wired for anxiety, as it is, and so that that quells my anxiety. Where it's like, okay, why do I have anxiety? Let's do the thing, let's send it off, and then I feel a little better. And then, you know, certainly it'll kick back up again. But when you work in a company of that size, things do not happen fast either. I mean, you mentioned uh, helping to develop Lay's stacks, right? How long had that been in the pipeline before it you know met consumers
0: yeah, look it it, it had been in the pipeline before I got there.
1: Oh jeez, okay,
0: right, and yeah. then um, I was on the packaging r and d team helping develop the new plastic container, the lid, the merchandising, all of that, putting it putting it together. but yeah, I joined in two thousand one, and I'm trying to remember the year it went to market, two thousand three, but that was largely what we worked on until it went to market
1: that's a long time to work on something that, from the outside looking in that looks you know like what if lays were pringles right i mean essentially that's that's what you're going for with that type of product and it seems very simple and very intuitive but you have to do it right otherwise there's so much money tied up in it right that if it falls on its face like that's going to be a real problem for a lot of people
0: i mean it was i, I won't give the exact number but it was uh many, many million dollar capital expenditure, opening a new manufacturing plant in, in Mexicali, Mexico. There's a number of patents that Pringles had that, you know, Frito-Lay had to make sure they were not infringing <laughs> sure. upon. And then I think there were some new challenges that Frito-Lay took upon itself, like using a plastic canister instead of the paperboard. And the paperboard had a lot of benefits, but the plastic mm-hmm. had some benefits. And there was just a number of differences in the development, it's not just the development. You've got to develop and design the product, the package. Then you've got to figure out how to manufacture it. Yeah. Then you've got to buy the manufacturing equipment to manufacture it. It's got to be produced. Then it's got to be installed. Then it's got to be tested. Then it's got to be launched. It's never a fast process, especially when you're trying to do something that's scale. I mean, each line, I think, could produce, I want to say, like 150 stacks jars a minute.
1: Jeez. Well, and I mean, that's got to be, to a certain extent, custom fabrication as well, because you're right. trying to create a unique product. And right. so by virtue of doing that, if you're trying to create something brand new, there aren't machines that make that. So how do you that's make right. the thing that makes the thing?
0: Right. Right. That's exactly it. That's
1: wild to me. And, you know, that's why I loved growing up. And I think this even this was when I came out when I was an adult, but watching a show like um, Unwrapped, where Mark Summers would go... And go to all these factories and show how the things that we eat all the time are made at such a huge scale. And right. that show was never not fascinating. And so right. to hear you describe it, if, if you're wired a certain way, that's a very appealing kind of problem to have. You, yeah. get, you get to see something develop.
0: It was exciting. It was fun.
1: Right. But you're working on one thing. For a very long time, compared with a to, lot of details, with a lot, a lot of details, you go, okay. Well, what am I going to do today? Oh, we're working on this so, container I, I give you still.
0: A small example. Nobody in the industry had designed this. Was a plastic blow molded bottle, but an injection molded snap lit. Nobody in the industry had ever achieved that because the tolerances are so different. It's hard to get it fit, and the problem was so complex. I actually got multiple patents for the solution. Wow. I came up with to make it to make it work.
1: Wow! So you you said the the top was molding injected, but the the can itself was what? Blow molded. Blow molded. Okay, those are two very different processes. Right. And so you and then you have to get them to to marry up.
0: That's it. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. It reminds. me.
0: So spreadsheet upon spreadsheet, <laughs> like looking at the standard deviations, the manufacturing <laughs> tolerances, what they needed to be. Could we deliver it? How much would we have to measure? to make sure that the largest lid would fit on the smallest bottle and the smallest lid would fit on the largest bottle and it'd feel the same to the consumer.
1: Good God, man. That, like, so that what,
0: That's just an example of the kind of detail that goes into something like this.
1: Yeah. I, I was uh college roommates with a guy who became a civil engineer and one of his favorite like newspaper cartoons was you have two engineers, one building a bridge and one starts from the other side and one starts from they, they start from opposite sides and they come and the bridge is like this and they don't, they don't touch and it's yeah. like, do you think we'll get partial credit for this? And partial credit doesn't exist when you're doing engineering with live ammo.
0: Exactly. So
1: wild. Okay. So you, now you've, you said 2018, you are now doing this job full time. Uh, yeah. how, many, how many people do you have working for you?
0: Right now we're about 30.
1: Wow. That's, I mean, that's a good size shop. Uh, when I started uh, at a PR firm in like 2007, we were a shop of about 22, I think. Yeah, And then, so that was in 2007. The Great Recession came after that. And as people would leave, we just wouldn't fill them. And by the time I left, we were down to like 12, I think. And so I myself never wanted to build an empire. You mentioned you had aspirations of being CEO of PepsiCo. I just never wanted to be responsible for someone else's rent. Um, And so for me, I'm happy in my own little one-person niche. How has it gone building this new empire of yours and... How, how are the rhythms finding you?
0: I think the freedom is fantastic. The ability to focus on impact, yeah, is fantastic. I think there's some things that I wanted to do on how you engage with the team, how you create a fulfilling work environment, how you make people a part of something that you can't necessarily do at a big company the same way. That have been fantastic. But look, there's there's challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt. There's there's challenges, and you've got to pay the bills. You have clients that don't pay.
1: Oh, that that have, one always hurts. That one is, you're like, what, uh, why, how, how, yeah. how, how do you not pay?
0: Yeah. Or why do you sign a contract that you're not going to honor? Yeah. It's
1: like, yeah, what is that? I don't, I, I just, I'm with you So you, you just on
0: realize there's all kinds of people, people in the world. And I think, I think for me, it's, it's, if I'm being honest, it's as much a spiritual journey as a professional journey where you realize in life there's very little we can actually control. And there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong at every step, every single step we take, something could go wrong. And so if you kind of embrace that and you say, Hey, everything happens for a reason and you just take it one day at a time. The benefit for me has been the spiritual side as much as anything, anything else is that you're living a lifestyle of where there's arguably even more uncertainty, but you're, teaching yourself to stay, stay calm and collected. I'm not always, you know, I've had good days, bad days, but like, that's the lesson. That's the thing to focus, focus on.
1: You know what I I tell people, people always ask me, do you work more hours or do you work harder as an entrepreneur? And I said, I don't know that I work more hours, but I'm certainly thinking about this all the time in a way that I didn't when I was working for someone else. It's it's not a matter of ever being done. There are just times I choose not to do it. Right. Right. And so, for me, though, what I realized is I'm not actually chasing money. Money is nice, and I had a very, very successful 2023. It was the best year I've ever had with my own company. But what we're actually chasing and that people don't realize is freedom. Yeah. And you, you've mentioned that word a couple of times. It's agency. It's how we get to determine how we spend our time and how we spend our days. The money's nice, and the money is helpful, but money is just a tool when you get right down to right. it. Right, right. And the only truly finite quality we have is time. Right. And if you're if you're finding yourself spending your time in a way that fulfills you and that has value, then you are living the richest life possible, in my estimation. Thoughts on that?
0: No, I, look, and I think that's where everybody's wired different. I, I I'd seen a I can't remember if it was a quote or if it was a blog or something where it said when people are in corporate America, they're generally looking forward to retirement yeah, yeah. But when you're an entrepreneur, you never even think about retirement. you want to just keep going forever and The difference is exactly what you said that that freedom in corporate America, you're not necessarily free to retire, but as an entrepreneur you're kind of free to the extent you could be you could be free, but everything nothing's black and white the grass isn't always greener on those either there's puts and takes you know the stability the security of a of a good paying corporate job that' has a lot of value in that. Certainly. And there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I think there are people that did better than I did in feeling the freedom from that.
1: Sure, there, there's there's freedom like available in that too, where you go. Right. I am secure, therefore I feel free. So, right. and you're right. I don't begrudge anyone who makes that decision for themselves and enjoys those rhythms. If you enjoy those rhythm rhythms, then you're free, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe yeah. maybe you're still looking forward to retirement, but for me. I like determining my time. I hate it when I feel like I'm on someone else's schedule. And certainly clients can be demanding, and it's like, you're going to come yeah. to this meeting or whatever. But after that, my time is kind of my own. And I learned that in graduate school. You, you had a different experience right. in the MBA because you were still working. But I went straight through and got my MA right after college, which at the time was the hardest thing that I did because they give you so much reading and so much writing, and it just feels like there's a lot to do. But they left me to sort of determine how I got it all done. And so when when it comes to managing people, I have a general philosophy. You can either tell someone what to do or how to do it, but not both. Sometimes you can dictate process. But for me, I like, what are we trying to do here? Okay, this is the goal. And these are the guardrails. Just let me figure it out from there and leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. So um, let's talk about awareness. Because uh, as I looked at the website, I thought this is really cool. And I'm sure that I have seen ads from your clients because I have a Roku. Um I have FUBO, I have I love watching Pluto TV and I also have like Samsung T V plus. Yeah. That has just the weirdest channels ever. There's But like, they
0: have a lot of great recognizable channels too.
1: Well totally. And so like, you know, sometimes I'll just throw on the supermarket sweep channel if I'm feeling like watching that. Or, you know, it'll be like Impact Wrestling. I'll just have that on in the background. So tell me a little bit about awarity and, and how this this niche is unique compared to other yeah. advertising uh opportunities.
0: So what, there were kind of two things at PepsiCo that were very transformative for how I thought about marketing. One was we ran this marketing mix regression where you take everything that's happening for a brand. This was while I was on Cheetos. Okay. So you look at, these are the weeks we ran TV. These are the weeks we had pricing and these retailers and you stack all of them, pricing mm-hmm. discount. These are the weeks we had merchandising. This is competitive activity. This is our... Other advertising. This is our out of home. Like you just take everything that could impact sales, drop it into a regression, and see like what was the impact to the business that year. When you say a sounds,
1: when you say a regression, define that for me.
0: Regression. Let's see. Uh, it's been a minute since I've <laughs> explained regression. a regression. Regression. A regression is uh, basically a statistical model mm-hmm. that will tell you the level of impact each of your inputs had. So like if you said, hey, I want to run a regression on speed versus fuel consumption. You could capture the data at like three points and then it'll tell you, you could project what it would be. Now that's a little bit more interpolation, but it wouldn't be a straight line. It'd be a curve and the regression could give you a little bit more like that. So that's like a simple analogy, but you could take like speed, wind, wind speed, wind direction, tire, pressure, you could put several things and then use each of those factors to determine what your actual fuel efficiency okay. would be if you ran a regression across all of them.
1: I got you. So you're inputting data to get to some sort model. of tr- yeah, model and, and like something that is more or less a truth that you're trying to extract from all these activities. It's like, what is the bottom line here?
0: What's actually impacting yeah, yeah. the business? Gotcha. And so it sounds really smart, right? It sounds like, wow, this is the right way to make decisions. but. Let's take a step back. Let's just say the model says, hey, pricing gets you for every dollar you spend on pricing, you sell a dollar fifty more in product or dollar fifty more in profit. That's not real numbers. Let's just say, well, what are you going to do? You're going to keep discounting the product to zero (laughs) like it only goes so far to where it makes intuitive sense. Same thing with TV. Let's say TV's working. Well, at some point, you're going to have so much TV, you're going to be at a level of saturation where there's diminishing returns. If you see an ad six times in an hour versus two times an hour, does does it make a discernible difference in your intent to ultimately keep that brand top of mind? And so you have to also apply human influence. So like the thing that didn't, st- that didn't work for me, and this probably comes from my engineering background, it's like, this is completely neglecting the interaction of variables mm. and You know how do things work together? So I had them run. What happens when you've got TV at the same time as pricing at the same time as merchandising? And what we found is the lift when you have all three running at the same time is a lot higher than the sum of each of those in isolation. And so you're a consumer. You're sitting on the sofa. You see a Cheetos commercial. You know what a Cheeto is. You already have high awareness. But Mm. it's reminding you how Cheetos is unique in the world of snacks. It's orange. These aren't conscious thoughts. These are yeah. emotional sentiments we feel. It's orange. It's messy. It's playful. It makes you feel like a kid. You feel kind of goofy when you eat it. And like that feeling you have when you have Cheetos is very distinctive and unique in the world of snacks. World snacks includes carrots, right, yeah. poultry, potato chips, you know, um, could ice be, cream.
1: Yeah. It could be anything, literally. And anything. It, yeah. But it could Cheetos, be fruit.
0: The role of the Cheetos commercial is to highlight where it's exceptionally distinctive. So you see and you're like, oh, yeah, Cheetos. I feel like a kid when I eat Cheetos. That's, you don't think that consciously, but that's the emotive feeling you have, the subconscious feeling that you can't necessarily articulate. So it's like, oh, yeah, Cheetos. Then when you go into the store and you see it merchandised, you're like, oh, I was just thinking about Cheetos. Then you see it's on sale and you pick it up because it's, hey, it's on sale. Why don't, why don't I just grab, grab a bag right now? It's that culmination of things that ultimately lead to purchase. The other was programmatic advertising. These are the ads that are placed on streaming TV. A lot of, not all, but many streaming TV apps or banner ads on websites. So if you visit like yahoo.com, those ads you see alongside the articles are, are banner ads. Mm-hmm. And those can be purchased. Those were, all that inventory is available on open ad exchanges can be purchased in real time. But it's a very manual process. And the people that, that generally drives up high minimums and only larger companies used it. So fast forward, I'm with this private equity firm, and I said, "Hey, I want to apply the PepsiCo playbook. I want to have some awareness building, and I want to have some mid-funnel engagement. I want to have some lower-funnel conversion. I want to focus on the website and search advertising. I want to do some social. I want to do some broad awareness building." There really isn't a great solution for broad awareness building that's affordable for a small business. What, what had happened is most businesses were pouring their money into social and search, which are great, and small businesses should be using those. But there's only a finite number of people actively searching at any given time and it's a very small number if there's actually a website out there I can't remember the name but if you look for it you'll find it, it tells you search quantity even some of the biggest items that you might imagine people are searching for it's in the thousands per day that's it and, in, and so, in
1: a well okay so and are we talking about America or worldwide America okay so I mean,
0: And then you narrow it down to a city, if you're a local business, and you are it down mm-hmm. to a couple of zip codes, and it's, it's fewer and fewer. Sure. So you're only reaching the people actively searching. That's very small. Social, less than half of social media users are on the platforms daily. Yes, we are biased by the heavy users or our own behavior, but the truth is you have limited reach on social media. Now, the people you reach, it can be very effective, but you have to realize it's not a broad-reaching channel. So my thought was, hey, we could take programmatic advertising – Develop some automation so that way we can run the campaigns at a smaller, more affordable price point so I don't have to hire people to manage each campaign. right? And then develop some optimization so it actually becomes more effective. And that's where ultimately our AI-based optimization comes in. And we could have a solution for small business. That's what we did. So now for as little as $300 a month, you know, clients can be seen over 100,000 times just in the zip codes they service. Wow. On TV, we guarantee for $1,000 a month, your commercial will be seen 25,000 times with non-skippable 30-second commercials. And you can pick the zip codes you want to be in. And with Bannerize, we can actually get more granular. We can get down to census blocks, census tracks, if you want to.
1: Wow, that's amazing to me. And what's really funny to me is, Essentially, what you're buying is user profiles at this point, right? I mean, you're, you're buying... No. no. Really?
0: No, we're not using it. We're using very little personal data. And any personal data we're using is fully anonymized. That's more done on the TV level, at the household level. Okay. With the banner ads, it's like, let's say you're an HVAC company. You, know, you mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. right? And let's just say you service the northwest suburbs of Chicago. First thing is, if you went to buy cable... You would have to spend a lot and you would buy all across the Chicago DMA, the media market. So every place that the Chicago local news runs is where your commercial would be seen, in, even if you don't service it. Right. The second thing is let's just say you are a higher end HVAC company and you don't offer the cheapest prices, but you offer the highest the the you know the longest guarantee of your work, the highest quality equipment, and so you really only want to be in those higher higher income neighborhoods. Right. Well, your solutions are limited. What we could do is isolate the, identify and isolate the zip codes that meet where household value is above a certain amount using census data that's publicly available. We mm-hmm. bought a library to make it easier to analyze and serve ads there. And then if somebody's reading about capacitor replacement or my heater is not warm or my air conditioning's not cooling, those topics within those zip codes, we can place that HVAC ad. Right there. So it's at the publisher level. It's at the website level where we're placing the content within the zip codes that they okay. ideally want to service. So there's no private data.
1: You're right. You're right about that. And I mischaracterized it slightly. But it's similar to when you hear about mobile advertising, like geofencing. Right. right. You want people within a certain
0: that's exactly it.
1: geographic location. And so, wow, that's, that's really cool. So, I mean, I've heard you allude to this as democratizing... Uh, advertising for small businesses. That's right. Was it difficult to get people to buy into this idea just because it is new? I mean, anytime you're doing something new, people are resistant to that. But um, have you found good success with it?
0: It is. It's it's hard. And and early on, you know, we had a lot of learnings. How do you message it? How do you communicate it? How do you sell it? How do you set the right expectations? I think we're in this world where people want to say, I turned on advertising and my business grew. And if life were that simple... Every, everybody would be a billionaire by now. <laughs> We're one piece of it. We, we can be the most efficient advertising platform in the world, but there's a lot more that goes into growing a business. You know, I was talking to one of our clients and this is, you asked about the challenge. This is arguably our b- biggest challenge. He's the CEO of a coworking franchise. And he was telling me how one of his coworking locations was complaining that they're not getting enough leads from corporate marketing. But he went in, he pulled up, the dashboard, he said, they're getting just as many leads as everybody else. They're just not following up the mm. same way. And so there's so many factors that ultimately go into a purchase decision. We can introduce the brand more efficiently than anything else. But the old, you know, the old ad is consumers got to see an average of seven times. And there's four P's to marketing, price, product, placement, promotion that ultimately go into it. So I'll give you a very black and white example. We work with a lot of minor league baseball teams around the country. We largely do the same thing for every team. We're targeting baseball fans, we're targeting families, we're targeting moms, mm-hmm. advertising the businesses in those markets, you know, for corporate nights, things like that. One team may track 15 to 1 ticket sales versus what they spent with us. Now, first off, you shouldn't give us all that credit because it's a whole <laughs> host of things right. that ultimately lead to that. Another team may track 2.5 to 1, but we did the same thing. It's because all those other factors go into buying that ticket. Where's the stadium located? What's their game day experience? What's their pricing? Yeah. Do they do a lot of online ticketing versus walk-ups? Because you're not going to track a lot of sales if it's a lot of walk-ups. How long have they been in that market? What are the other things they're doing in, in marketing? And so it's a very black and white example to advertising. Advertising help can help anyone. The amount of that help is relative to how strong the fundamentals of your business
1: are. You know, it, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever gone through physical therapy, but it's generally pretty excruciating. <clears throat> they always tell you, you go in for treatment and the treatment helps, but they're not magicians, right? So they, they are one of the tools and then they give you a bunch of exercises that you have to do at home. And, yeah. so, and so to your point, it's like, look, we'll we'll get you in front of people. What you do with that then is kind of on you. Like we are but exactly. one tool, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's fascinating because I I do that with podcasting because I produce other podcasts besides my own. And people always ask me, like, when do you think we can monetize this? And I go, you're not going to like my answer. It's probably never yeah, um, because you're going to make this thing look cruddy and corny and cheesy if you put a bunch of terrible ads on it. You right. need to have some other reason for doing this. Make this a suite of your communications activities, because that's usually the types of businesses I'm talking to, You know where it's like, this needs to be a part of an overall outreach strategy that is attached to some bottom line business goal. So to your point, what you're doing is not necessarily a panacea, but can be an extraordinarily useful and game-changing tip if you incorporate it the right way.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Fantastic. Well, I love that. That's Anytime you're coming up with a new product and, and a new way of thinking about things that is necessarily going to have some challenges, but frequently is one of the most rewarding things when you see people experience what you're doing and it changes the way they view the world.
0: Absolutely.
1: Phenomenal. Okay. Well, as we wrap up here, um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share about yourself or about, uh, about Awarety?
0: No, look, I think we're here, we're here to help. So if anybody's listening, they're like, hey, we need, we need to get some more exposure for our business, visit us at awarety.com request the demo. We're happy to chat with you anytime. And, and, you know, we'll be the first to tell you if it's not right for you, you know, sometimes going back to that, that explanation about success, there may be a new business. That's like, Hey, I have a very, very limited budget and we'll be the first to tell them, Hey, your best bet may be local networking now because at times your asset and cash wow. is your greatest constraint, hit the chamber of commerce up, yeah. get into some networking groups, get some customers, generate some revenue, and then we're here after you get kind of your website and some of your fundamentals in place to a good spot. After you've learned from those experiences, we're here to help. So we'll be the first because for us, the goal is a long term relationship. The way our pricing works because it's so affordable, we, we really only profit on a relationship if it lasts. Sure. And so people that just use us for a few months and walk away, that's not good. And so. It incentivizes us as well to be thinking about the client's interests when they come to us.
1: Well, the way... I mean, you you are a holder of patents and you have... Uh, I mean, I imagine the ones you developed for Frito-Lay or PepsiCo live there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about with my own business, I don't own anything. All I have is my work ethic, my brain, and most importantly, my reputation. And so if I'm not being straight with people, then I, I am doing a huge disservice to myself. So for you in a relationship based in a relationship based industry like this, your reputation matters and you go, Hey, you know what? We're not, we're not the right fit for you. You can come back when you are, but what you're going to do if you go with us now is we're both going to end up unsatisfied here. Right. Right. And right. that's no good for anyone. And If we're not helping each other, what are we doing?
0: No, it's not. And some of the, and those were some of the tough learnings along the way I found, you know, because our pricing so affordable, yeah, we had several businesses come to us as hail marys, like they're in desperation mode. But this is—we're like the one thing they could afford to do, and then they're really mad that we were not like some <laughs> magic bullet that turned their struggling business around. Okay, and, and we tried to tell them, but you know, that we're all that they could afford. So they said, "Let's give it a go," and we're not going to say no if they—if they say we really want you to, we really want to do this. So
1: some people are going to demand that you take their money and then be upset that you took their money and for whatever reason they're unsatisfied about that and you go look i tried not to
0: the, yes fortunately it's a very 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 small percentage yeah. the majority of our clients have been with us for a very very long time because they can see the impact to their business but you know the point the point is exactly what you said reputations all that you can take with, with you and i'd rather and we i tell people this too on on if i'm involved in a sales call i when they say how much do we spend i say i'd rather you spend less but do it for a longer period of time than spend a lot and have unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen in the near term.
1: You're, you're setting expectations. That's beautiful. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to plug? You plug to wearity.com, That'll be in the companion blog piece uh, as well as in the show notes. Uh, but are there any other plugs you'd like to make right now?
0: That's the, biggest, that's the biggest one. I'm working on a marketing book to help small to mid-sized businesses. Uh, hopefully, it'll be out sometime later this year. The goal, again, just the, how do you translate what the big companies have figured out over you know, 100 years and make turn it into a tangible, actionable plan that's accessible for small to mid-sized businesses that don't have the same resources.
1: Well, you'll have to come back and talk about that. Once that book is out, I would love to have you back on the show. This has been a phenomenal chat. You can, uh, you can find more about Awarety in the show notes. As I said, we're on Podcatchers Everywhere. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you get your pods, I am there. Aditya, this was an absolutely enlightening chat. I had a great time talking with you, and I wish you nothing but continued success.
0: Thanks, John. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: And that'll do it for episode 359 of the John of All Trades podcast with Aditya Maranasi, the CEO of Awarety. Proud to feature him. Go check him out. Everything is in a companion blog piece. That's on johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes, no matter what podcatcher you are listening on. And if you happen to be on one of those platforms, please leave us a rating, leave us a review. Those kinds of things all help with the awareness of the show. And hey, if you like what you hear, feel free to share it. Click like on any social media platform, leave a comment, share it with a friend, email it, carry your pigeon. I don't care. I don't know how that would work necessarily in this digital economy, but whatever, you understand my motivation here. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Hey, if you need communications activities, I'm your man. I've been at this now for more than 15 years. Any kind of communications campaign you're running, if I can't do it, I will point you in the direction of someone who can. But reach out to me. Email is john, J-O-N, at defcom.us. I also produce podcasts for a ton of other shows. So if you have a podcast idea, reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. On the socials, I am J-O-A-T Pod, that's across platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Thread, all under the same handle. How convenient for you. I'm out of here for this week. It is phenomenal to be back in the saddle here with you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your life. Wherever you are, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I know I ripped that off of Jerry Springer. It does not matter. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie.